So we're in First Timothy chapter 4, and the Bible says in First Timothy 3 and verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And since we don't know how long the Lord will tarry, this is good information. Of course, uh, Paul was uh, talking about his coming to Timothy, but uh, we can also you know, understand that the Lord is tarrying his coming to come to get us, because there's nothing right now hindering him from catching away the church. And so he says, But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God. And so when I was a little boy, I used to watch myself after school. I was I had to take care of myself, and my mom told me exactly what to do, so I knew how to behave myself in the house before my sisters and my parents came home from school. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, in America, the most dangerous time for kids is between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock p.m. after school. It's a time frame that many poor decisions uh, that have uh, consequences occur. My wife used to be involved in abstinence-based uh, education uh, here. Here in Cass County, they had a thing called Chart, and that one of the presentations—that's one of the things that the instructors always keyed on—was the hours of you know post school, four to six, because that's when a lot of things occur uh, that get kids in trouble. So we've seen that um, a godly minister must beware of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We've already covered that in the first five verses. We saw a godly minister must be a good minister of Jesus Christ. We took several weeks to cover that in verses six through eleven, and now we wrap it up in verses twelve through sixteen. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, and we pick it up in verse 12. It says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And so... Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for time together. I thank you for the songs and the prayers that have been offered up. I thank you for time just to visit. I thank you. I pray for Jeff tonight as he's had to depart early. He's got some things going on. Pray, God, for our time of prayer. Lord, it's so important. Pray for the upcoming deacon meeting, for the Lord's Supper, for the church body. There's a lot to pray for. But, Lord, I pray tonight that the Word of God would uh, move us to uh, do the priestly work of, of intercession, Lord, um, and that we would be fervent and effectual in our prayer because we know that the fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man uh, availeth much. And, Lord, you are righteous and you dwell in us. And we pray, God, that you would carry the prayers of your saints to the throne of God, as we know you will, uh, Lord, without delay, and they will be heard. So we thank you for the opportunity to engage in prayer. Lord, I pray, God, as we're doing this, that we'd behave ourselves as we ought in the house of God, that we'd know how to behave ourselves in the house of God tonight, and that the things that we learn would encourage us in that as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Lord, that's part of what it is, is behaving ourselves in the house of God. This is the household of faith. We pray, God, your blessing upon the words tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, times like these call for godly ministers to be an example of the believers. Now, you would not have guessed that, I'm sure. That's pretty easy to fill in the blank on. But the example of the believers, First uh, Timothy four twelve through sixteen that we just read. So, point A: be intentional to uh, to manifest. That's ter- terrible grammar again. Be intentional to. It should be manifest maturity, not manifesting. Um, uh, be intentional to manifest maturity. 
Uh, in verse 12, we see that Paul says, Let no man despise thy youth. Obviously, Timothy was a young man, and uh, he uh, he didn't want people to despise him because he was young. There's nothing wrong with him being young. So if he didn't want people to despise him, he was to be an example of the believers. Okay, So that was in his word, in his conversation, in his lifestyle, uh, the way he loved, and the spirit in which he did it, and the faith and in purity. So... When I started my career uh, at the Fagan Company, I was 21 years old, and uh, you know what? I, I wanted to drink coffee because everyone drank coffee, and I knew that if I was gonna if I was gonna be a, a man, that was gonna open some doors for me if I could just drink some coffee. And uh, so when I got saved, God took alcohol, but uh, He never introduced me to coffee. So <laughs> I, I'd make a great Mormon, wouldn't I? So uh, anyway, so um, believe in Jesus. Yeah, not, not, yeah. So being a, so uh, you know being a man, not a boy, right? Uh, who follows Christ with maturity is is how you earn respect from your peers, right? It's not if you drink coffee or not. So, uh, in fact, it's following Christ. Uh, it's in following Christ that we will automatically lead others, both informally and formally, right? Because some of what we do is caught. It's not just taught. Um, a lot of what we do is caught. So we're to be a godly example, and no one will despise our youth. And so uh, no one's accusing me of being a youth anymore, but I used to be a youth. Uh, not long ago. So let's examine what that looks like. So let no man despise thy youth. Paul implies Timothy has power to behave himself in a way that neutralizes the elder brother's tendency to see Timothy as an upstart. Right. So there is a way in which uh, you can behave that will it'll just absolutely neutralize that tendency to say, well, this is just some upstart. Uh, Paul had biblical reasons to be concerned about Timothy's youth being despised. Uh, from the beginning, we saw the elder, Cain, right, in Genesis, uh, despise Abel, bringing an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. So Paul had a biblical reason to be concerned about the elder brother not, uh, you know, accepting the younger brother. In Gen- and I gave you the verse there in Genesis 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, And Abel, he also brought of the first, firstlings of the flock of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So Cain slew Abel because he despised uh, God and took it out on his younger brother. Abel didn't do anything wrong, um, but uh, Cain despised his relationship with the Lord. So the elder brother, uh, or brothers, I should say plural, of Joseph hated him, right? Because his relationship to Jacob represented by his coat of many colors, right? So Genesis thirty-seven five, you know the story. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more, right? So you know the more understanding vision he had, uh, the less his brothers appreciated him. And so, uh, so their their hatred was compounded when Joseph was not discreet in sharing his visions, even causing his father Jacob to rebuke him. In Genesis thirty-seven verse nine, and he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, "Behold, I dreamed a dream more, and be, uh, behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me." And he told it to his father and his brethren, and his father's and his father rebuked him. And said unto him, What is this dream that thou dreamest? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come down, uh, come uh, bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Are are you kidding, Joseph? Joseph, what has gotten into you, boy? You know he is like not having it. And so Paul had a reason, right? Timothy, man, don't let anyone despise thy youth. 
Um, this is exactly the type of thing Paul wanted Timothy to avoid. And so Joseph didn't understand how his visions negatively impacted his brothers and caused them to hate him. Paul says, let no man despise I you. So Timothy, don't be a fool. right? Learn from the past. And even if you have more wisdom than the elders, right? Uh, David said, thou hast made me wiser than my teachers. You don't have to tell everybody that. <laughs> so so be, have discretion, Timothy, and let, your, let that wisdom be worked out in your walk, uh, not just in your talk, and that you'll do it better with your older brothers. So David, uh, another young man, was despised by his elder brothers, right? You guys know the story there. First, everyone was surprised that God would even show an interest in David. Yet in 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 11, uh, it's, uh, it, the Bible says again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel, and Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, <clears throat> Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. So, um, right, nobody even counted on David, and yet God was already working mightily in David's life. And so when David showed up and questioned the reproach of Goliath, his brother saw, uh, thought he was a troublemaker. And First uh, Samuel 17, um, I'll just skip down to verse um, 28 there, where Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither, and whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thy heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? What have I done this time? Is there not a cause? The famous line, Is there not a cause? And when he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner, the people answered him again after the former manner. So David was, was a, he was on a mission, right? And, and uh, of course, by dare, he, his older brother Eliab was not happy with him, thought he was just causing trouble on the front lines. And, of course, David was speaking truth, just like Timothy would be doing uh, at Ephesus. So David didn't have a prideful heart. As it ended up, he didn't... Uh, he did, uh, as it ended up, he showed up to the battle. Uh, but he... <clears throat> Let me re- restate this. David didn't have a prideful heart, and as it ended up, he didn't show up to see the battle, but bring the battle. Even though all that he was, even though that all that were initially there, uh, he was initially there to do was supply his brothers a report. Uh, he was there to supply his brothers food, and then get a report and run it back to Jesse, his father. So he didn't really show up. Um, let me be clear on that. So he didn't really show up in a prideful matter, just to see the battle as he was accused by his brother. Um, but he did end up bringing the battle, didn't he? Right? He, he wasn't there to... He, he didn't come to, to watch. <laughs> he, came to, he, he brought it. And uh, he, he delivered. Uh, he wasn't just talking. Right? He really had all that going on. And he was but a youth. And so, uh, and of course, his brother despised him. So you can imagine with all of that background, and Paul knew all of that and, and, and more. I probably left out a few. Uh, you know, he's like, hey, Timothy, hey, man, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be thou an example of the believers. So, point four all these Old Testament illustrations are also types of Christ. <clears throat> but you're not surprised uh, at that, I'm sure. Isaiah 53, verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report? 
And uh, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he has he hath grown up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. Uh, he was despised and esteem- and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed of course jesus was despised wasn't he and rejected of men he's the firstborn among many brethren but he came to his own his own well they received him not so abel was to bring a lamb and was slaughtered like a lamb just as in adam all die so in christ shall all be made alive and christ and the last adam brought life though he was sacrificed. So Abel's life is marked with obedience. Joseph pictures the relationship between Christ, who came to his own, and his own received him not. And it was not until the tribulation, or not until this coming, the coming tribulation, when the 144,000 and two witnesses will stand off with the Antichrist, that many in the nation of Israel will understand they crucified their Messiah. Joseph's life is marked with patience and tribulation. David pictures the fulfillment of the victorious warrior. Jesus Christ will return in complete power and victory to deliver Israel and the world from the clutches of the new world order uh, the Antichrist imposes on the entire planet. He is the Savior of Israel, the church of the world, <clears throat> the church, I'm sorry, and the world, not of the world, the church and the world. So David's life is marked by blessing as power, uh, as, I'm sorry, blessing and power as the anointed king. So David is obviously a huge picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, by the way, just a little side note here: the New World Order uh, has the when you talk that's a real thing, by the way. So it's called the Sustainable Development. And there used to be a thing called. How many have heard of Agenda Twenty One? So Agenda Twenty One is now Agenda Thirty. So Twenty Thirty, they've they've upgraded it. They went Agenda, agenda Twenty Fifteen, and now they've got new initiatives uh, called Agenda Agenda. So if you want to look up all that, it's boring. As I mean, I read it. I was reading it the other day. Uh, the the whole new agenda. And, uh, and some of it sounds good, but anyway, it is a new world. It's basically a, a, it's a blueprint for global governance and centralized government of the entire world. Even though it gives lip service to uh, statehood, it doesn't really imply that when you go through it for, in, in total. So um, anyway, so there's a plan for all of that, <clears throat> and uh, God's got a plan to take over all of that because the world is his in the fullness thereof so there are there are point five there are practical lessons that a gifted preacher like timothy can learn uh, from the past and so if you if you count yourself a gifted preacher then there's you can learn practical lessons from the past and uh, any christian can learn practical lessons from the past so a godly young minister should expect some friction from those who may not understand his calling that's the first that's just practical so uh, i don't know in this room if anybody uh, we don't have I'm probably one of the younger people here, and I'm not young. So, but uh, keep that in mind uh, when it comes to uh, you know men that we send out, like a godly young man that goes for. We saw well a good example. Is, I won't say his name, but the young man that was here Wednesday night, right? Twenty some years old, godly young man. A young man like that could, should expect some friction from those who may not understand his calling. And in, in reality, that is the case with that particular young man. So it's not surprising that there's there is a little bit of. Uh, of attention around his calling uh, to the field in which he uh, is going, which I won't get into. A godly young minister should be patient and gracious with opposition as well. 
And so, just because there's uh, you know opposition and friction doesn't mean you should be uh, quick, right? Tempered, right? We're to be not quick, quick tempered. It's the opposite of that. We're to have charity and uh, and a spirit that is good, and faith and purity, right? So we got to be patient. And a godly young minister should not lose sight of God's mission or power when faced with those who may despise his youth. <clears throat> so a godly minister should not lose sight of God's mission or power when faced with those who may despise his youth. Now, all of those things I just said are all wrapped up in really a summary of what I just went through and all of those examples from the Old Testament. Now, uh, you might be able to come up with some more, and that would be great. You could add them to your sermon when you preach it. But anyway, that's uh, a few things, three things that I could draw from a, from a, a young man's perspective in ministry. He should expect some friction um, because some may not understand his calling. He should be patient and gracious, and he should certainly uh, stay focused on the mission at hand and go forward in faith. So Paul leaves Timothy with specific instructions to help protect him from those who may despise his youth. And so I think I have time to delve into those. So I could stop here, but I think I, I will go a little further. Um, so point one, be intentional to manifest maturity. Number two, or point B, be an example of the believers that is tangible. That's really what he's calling for in verse 12. right? I need you to be an example of the believers that's tangible. right? You need to, you need to have true maturity that's, that's manifested, and, and then you need to model that. So Psalms 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. So we should leave a good taste in the mouth of those who interact with us. Uh, This is not hyperbole because uh, Paul speaks of this in the New Testament. Speaking of leaving another young man in his stead, he said this to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 2, 13-15, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be to God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place for uh, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish so the knowledge of God we manifest is a good fragrance it's like good barbecue I mean when you smell it you're like man that makes me hungry and so uh, so he's saying hey Timothy you should leave an example of godliness you should leave a tangible uh, example for the believers to follow. So the knowledge of God gives us that good good fragrance and it smells good to those that hear and see it in our lives. So we know that one of the things that will make us smell like rotten meat or sour milk is the inability to couple knowledge with charity. If you want to stink it up, then just take all the knowledge you have and then don't couple it with charity and then you will stink to high heaven and uh, and it'll be nasty. So that's why God couples charity with knowledge, right? First Corinthians 8 says, not, not as touching things offered unto idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Paul says, I'm not telling you something you don't know. Knowledge puffeth up, right? Knowledge alone puffs up, but charity builds up. It edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth not. Uh, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. It's tangible, right? It's palatable. It smells good and tastes good. So the knowledge of God should rest in the love for in, rest in a love for people. In First John four eight, the Bible says, "He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love." So if we say we know God but don't walk in charity, we belie our birthright. Folks expect those who are sons of God to act like their father. And Paul noted that when we walk in love as Christ loved us, there is a sweet-smelling savor. 
So in Ephesians 5, I think I have that verse in your notes there. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and had given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. So if a young minister desires to be intentional about not letting folks despise their youth, they need to be intentional about doing all the things uh, that God would have them to do with fervent charity. Fervent charity is the key. And so if a young man, a minister, wants to, to be an example, that's what he needs to do. First Peter 4, eight says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. So use hospitality one to, uh, to another without grudging. Right? It's the opposite of what we covered in all those examples of those that would grud- be begrudging of a, other bro- a younger brother. So... So Paul gives Timothy the recipe that makes Timothy's testimony taste good in verse 12. Timothy is to be an example in, well, here you know what they are. They're listed for your word, right? He's to be an example in word. So Paul wrote uh, to the church at Colossae, encouraging wisdom and discretion on the use of grace and truth in their speech. Colossians 4, 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech uh, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Right. So this recipe gives you a good taste. And it's, it's, it's knowing how to season that word. Right. The word is like salt. And so it's with grace, seasoned with salt. There should not be any uh, guile in the mouth of a godly young minister, or really any minister for that matter. Uh, Psalm 34, 13 says, Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Right? I was just at a event this week, and, and uh, I was I was kind of emceeing this thing, and... and uh, and I got uh, on the way home. I was like, you know, Amy, I was uncomfortable with how this kind of went down. I totally agreed with what was going on, but there was political engagement, politicians, and they started talking. And the politicians I respect, but I said, you know what? I'm not at liberty to do that. I can't talk about I can't talk about the president like they talk about the president. You know, everybody's excited and they're clapping and hollering and hooting, and I'm kind of sitting there as a minister of the gospel, going, "That's the president. I don't care." If you're right or not, you can't make, you shouldn't mock him uh, or speak evil of dignities um, uh, because it's serious. It's sad and, and terrible um, uh, that the, the person is in that situation, but it's not something to make light of. You know what I'm saying? Now, you can do that as a politician, so I'm not, I'm not saying the politician can't do that, but as a pastor, you, I, I'm not at liberty to do that. God doesn't give me the liberty, and I can't have guile come out of my mouth like that. And even though I might want to. So, uh, we're to keep, uh, the Bible says in Psalms 34, 13, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. And so, that's, that's, there's wisdom in that. Even when men revile you and say things that are not true or, or twisted to hurt you, the young minister is careful to follow the example of his Lord Jesus Christ. So in, in 1 Peter 2.21, the Bible says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, uh, that ye should follow in his steps, who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he uh, suffered... He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth uh, righteously. So guile is deceit, subtlety, or craft. So there's no motivation to get even through slander or gossip, right? And so a man... A man of God is not going to be a part of that. The disciple Nathaniel uh, said to Philip, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, Is one... uh, 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 
I think my notes messed up. Behold, an Israelite. And then he said, okay, and so Jesus, when Jesus saw him, he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. His life and his lips were true, and when he saw Jesus, um, he followed him. So, um, so when Jesus is real in your heart, your speech will reflect it. So when I was lost, I had a filthy tongue. I mean, I cussed like a sailor. Um, when I got saved, um, some men who I held as mentors would compromise in this area of their speech. And I'm not, you know, that's their business. Um, I never said anything. But as a former lost person, I can tell you that, that using filthy words and foolish jesting, jesting to fit in does not impress the lost. And so, as being coming out of the world and then seeing Christians who I respected and who were mentors who, in other areas of their life, I follow um, or followed and I still would follow, um, I, I realized that that was not the way to go. So, if anything, you lose credibility. When I worked at Fagan in my first year, I compromised one time and I used a curse word that, that didn't fit. Uh, it, wasn't, it fit the conversation, but it didn't fit me. And man, I was so, I've told this story before, I was so convicted. I hesitate to say it sometimes because it sounds like, oh, you're holier than thou. But it, it, it is what it is. When I got saved, God took it, took my, he just took it out of my mouth. I mean, I literally was, I used to cuss like a sailor. I look back on it now, I'm, I'm embarrassed how I used to act, especially like when I'd play baseball and stuff like that and sports. And, you know, I, I had to be embarrassing for my parents. Um, but they never really rebuked me for it. But I didn't do that in the house, but when I was out in public, I would curse. Um, because that's the language of the world, right? And so, and it was in my heart. And but once I got saved, it wasn't in my heart; it was gone. So then, you know, you fast forward the tape, and I'm in my early 20s, and I'm trying to fit in, and I, I try to, I try to cuss in this sentence. I don't remember what it was now. I don't remember exactly. I remember the moment. I remember where I was, but I don't remember what the context was. And man, immediately God was like, "Son, what are you doing? You know, you're an idiot." <laughs> so, and so I was so convicted. I didn't have to like repent. I just corrected myself, and I never. I didn't. The thing is, I didn't have to do it. You know, I hear Christians all the time, and I'm sure they struggle with their speech. I don't. Uh, that's not one of those besetting sins in my life. I, you know, when I hit my hit my thumb with a hammer, you know, one time I was I was remodeling our, our basement over here where I lived, and uh, Bob Bolkin and all the guys were down there, and I was up above my head working. And Bob has this little little bench that he uses, and uh, if you stand on it, it puts you just right in an eight foot ceiling, you know, to work on stuff. So I was up standing on it. Well, I got a little off on the edge on one side of it, and it flipped on its side. And then I came down with all my weight on my shin, right on the edge of this plywood. And, uh, yeah, it was bruised for, it looked like years. It was, it, I had a bruise on the front of my shin um, from all the blood there. But anyway, and I was in agony, for real. And uh, that was one of the things the guy said. Was, hey, Brian, we sure know you're saved because we didn't hear one cuss word come out of your mouth. <laughs> and uh, no, they didn't because that's I just that's because for me it's not me. It's Jesus in me. I'm not. That's something that for me he took when I got saved. I'm not saying that there aren't others that struggle with that legitimately in their flesh. That's the default mode or whatever. That's cool. I mean, work on that. I, I got all kinds of grace there. So that's I don't want to make myself the standard. But I also do want to celebrate in my life. God took that from me. You know, I do. I am thankful for that so uh so if i'm going to use myself as an example i'm going to use this something negative uh, just so i don't exalt myself above measure right so so when i i have cussed just because i was trying to fit in and it's just such a, it's such a such a just a uh, 
it's stupid and it just makes you feel like a uh, yellow, you know, <laughs> what a wimp. And so I resolved that the God used that in my life, so I would resolve not to to do that. Now, in some in some circles, <clears throat> even probably in our church, there's men, I know men that think, "What are you talking about?" Right? You know, because they still use the language of the world. This is me. Uh, you can do what you do, but I do what I do. And and uh, I I think from the you know, if you're going to be in a pulpit, I would tell you I do know a pastor who. Uh, who used to cuss? He used to be a pastor. God's got him out of the pulpit. Fortunately, he had some character flaws, and 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 his his lack of discipline in this area caused other young men uh, to follow, and it was bad. And so, uh, so I've seen this thing: uh, the guile that comes out of the mouth. It also is reflected in the life as well. And so you don't want to lose credibility. Um, and so I broke the very things that I actually knew, you know, from the day I got saved were there. So I would see older mentors uh, uh, whose mouth wasn't what it needed to be. And it doesn't just mean cursing people. It could be slandering people. It could be gossiping, things like that. And so we need to make sure that, that we have a, a, a lifestyle and, and words that reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, but I have felt like Peter myself when I've violated that. And I vowed not to do that again. And it really wasn't hard, frankly, because that was no longer my nature. So I guess what I'm saying is easier for me not to curse than it is to curse. It's just really God took it away from me. So if, I, if you hear me cursing, I'm going out of my way to do it. Uh, okay, so point two. Another thing is conversation. The New Testament is, uh, this, this world typically is uh, in reference to, our, this word typically is in reference to our walk in the Bible, not our verbal discourse. But today many use conversation, of course, is uh, not in every sense. If there's a, Actually, this word is still used in legal terms oftentimes. Conversation is still used to mean what it means in the Bible. Uh, but the scripture defines itself, and it has much to say about conversation. Um, I'm not going to get through all of these, so let me just quickly run through this and we'll stop. Galatians 1.13, For ye have heard my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Ephesians 2.3, uh, Among whom also ye had, uh, we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ephesians 4.22, That you put off concerning the former conversation, right? Lifestyle, the old man, which is correct according to deceitful lusts. Uh, Philip, Philippians one twenty seven. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Make the gospel look good, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. May, may, the, may the conversation, may our lifestyle be catching the attention of God in heaven because the devils and the angels are talking about it. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have for he has said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee act like you know God act like you can depend on God James 3.13 who is wise man and endued with knowledge among you let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom right he's not talking about just what we say what we do let his lifestyle manifest strength under control and wisdom right and 1 Peter 1.15 but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So it doesn't matter if you're at church, if you're at work, if you're at school, right? If you're at a wedding, if you're at a party,
party, conversation should, uh, all manner of conversation should be holy, and it should represent the Lord well. First Peter chapter two and verse twelve, having your conversation honest among the people at church. No, honest among the Gentiles, right? So at work, uh, honesty is still the best policy, no matter what they say. That whereas they speak against you as evil doers, they may by your good works, uh, which they uh, shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So your conversation should be honest, even if Gentiles accuse you of not being honest. Anybody ever been there? How that happened? I learned that early at work. So I did I did things honestly, and then I came and I learned people said I was doing something dishonest because I made a lot of money, or this happened, or that happened. And sometimes it was just out of ignorance. So accidentally, well, this is a true story. First job, I they threw, thrust me into managing a project. So the first project I was on, I didn't know what things cost because I hadn't been doing a lot of. I was in engineering. I wasn't in. I wasn't actually bidding work. So I had to figure out the cost. So of course I was just padding things because I wasn't quite sure. So as you end up the job ends up over and then i got a, then the people were saying i was you know all the kind of surly people were like oh man look at this guy he's really he's really a, you know grifter look at the percentage that he makes on his jobs and all that so i'm like you know what god knows my heart i was not trying to overcharge people and uh and we're not in the business of losing money anyway but i wasn't doing that on purpose and nobody pushed back so i just got the change orders i got and it came in where it came at and praise the lord we made a good profit and uh you know and and so even when you're trying to do good people will speak evil and so you just say well you know what god i'll do everything i can right uh, conversely, there was other jobs later on where I was like, "Hey, uh, we did that wrong. Uh, we we should pay that twelve hundred dollars." And the company's like, "Oh no, uh, you know, we need to do something." I shouldn't say this on recording, but somebody somebody in the ether was saying, "No, no, we we cannot do that. Uh, we need to we need to add some hours here. We need to create something out of thin air to cover that." And I'm like, "No." Nah. No, because we're already making this much margin, and this is a good profit. And I'm not going to do that for you. So if you want to do it, here you go. And if you want to fire me, fire me. So uh, that's how I rolled, and and they kept me around anyway. So praise the Lord. So the old saying, your, your actions speak so loud I can't hear what you're saying, is absolutely true. So when our walk matches our talk like David's did, there's, there is little an older brother can say when we deliver on our word. So when you go out and slay Goliath, there's not a whole lot anybody's going to say about it. <laughs> so uh, so uh, just a word to the wise, to the young, to the young preacher. Let your, let your, uh, let your uh, walk do more talking. So we get back uh, next time, which will not be next week because it's fifth Sunday. Uh, so we get next week will be a, a rest. Do the Chiefs play? I don't know. Are they next Sunday? Probably not. Probably not. Sorry, Sharon. And, uh, oh well. And uh, it is what it is. Yeah, Ron. So I, I was just thinking, and I know this didn't fit with your theme because it's not, no, let no man despise thy youth, but all Eliab had to do was go out and slay Goliath. And he, yeah. I mean,. He could have gotten everything that was promised to David. Of course, David, was, you know, everybody was focused on the promises of Saul, and God, and David was focused on the the uh, integrity of God. You know, so, and and that was real. That's the thing. Brothers were never heard of again. You know, right. Yeah, they actually did defend later on. They did kind of come to get coalesce around David. Fortunately, it's kind of hard not to. Everybody likes a winner. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, it's kind of like the Bible, right? Eventually, everybody's going to coalesce around Jesus. Israel will be back eventually. Well, but it's going to hear about Jonadab, the son of, or, yeah, the son of 
Shimia, David's brother, who was a very subtle man. You've heard about that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very good, Ron. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the, we're thankful for this opportunity just to hear these words and meditate upon your words, Lord, not the ones I say, but the ones that we, we saw that come from, from you, Lord. These are right out of your mind and your heart. These are, these are, this is gold uh, that you've given us, Lord, from heaven. It's treasure. It's precious, Lord. There's uh, so many, so many saints for so many centuries couldn't even read. If they had a Bible in their hands, they couldn't have read it. Even up into the 1960s, most people were around the world illiterate. And even if they were literate in their own languages, they didn't have a Bible. And here we've been delivered a Bible and literacy, and, and what are we doing with it, Lord? I pray, God, that we would do something like walk like you do. Uh, Lord, help us to live like you live and be like you are. Help us to pray like you pray, so that, Lord, uh, the fervent effectual prayers, Lord, of your saints, Lord, will avail much. Lord, we know that there's a lot that needs to be done. Help us to be fervent. Lord, there's an election coming up that's important, uh, but there's a lot of decisions that people need to make, even more important than, than voting uh, for a politicians lord they need to they need to trust jesus as lord and savior and i pray god that we would be about the business of uh, of praying for those things and praying for our missionaries praying for our ministry opportunities praying for the church body we just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in jesus name amen all right so uh,